Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. You're listening to Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 264 of The Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Botzko, for this episode after Borussia Dortmund beat Raba Leipzig 1-0 and gave them the first home loss. And for that and more to discuss with me, here is the one and only Lars Pollmann. Hello, Lars. Hello, Stefan. How are you on this fine Monday? Well, for me, it's... Noon for you, it's probably already in the evening. Probably, Stefan. That's typically how time differences work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I also, also, uh, you know, make that dependent on, on how, how you feel about your own time. Because for, for some people, you know, 1130 is still in the morning. For others, that's already noon. So maybe eight or, or six or whatever is, is not evening yet. I don't know, Lars. How, how I'm, you? I'm are part of the. I'm it. part of the uh, working class, if you like. So, uh, 11:30 <laughs> is not in the morning, and 7 p.m., which it will be in about 60 seconds, is very much in the evening. So it's a nice evening, a bit cold. How is it for you, Stefan? It's even colder. It's uh, minus 12 degrees Celsius in Philadelphia right now, which is uh, as cold. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, but, but I'm warm and, uh, little disclaimer. If you hear the heat come on in, in my apartment every time, you have to deal with that because I'm not going to sit here freezing. Um, so there's that. Where's the commitment, anyway, Stefan? <laughs> the commitment is to me and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not alone anymore. So I have a, a small dog next to me who also wants to be warm. So, um, you know, it's, it's not just me and he does not get to enjoy the yellow wall pod or an, anything of it because he does not care for Borussia Dortmund or. I, th I thought you were going to say he thing. doesn't speak German. So <laughs> maybe he does, but even, even that won't help because we do this in English. Anyway, after two minutes of bullshitting, we should maybe start to get into it. And um, Dortmund maintained their six point lead over Bayern Munich, who beat Hoffenheim three to one on Friday night in uh, what looked to be first a very dominant performance and then like a Hoffenheim comeback, but uh, it wasn't to be so. Bayern eventually scored a third and there's the heat. <laughs> so Dortmund, I guess, responded, if you will, or just, you know, played the game and won. Um, last, what did you make of the lineup? No Marco Reus, Julian Weigel at centre-back. And uh, I guess Maxi Philipp then in, in the hole. Um, when you saw it first, were you shocked? Were you perplexed? What were your initial thoughts? Well, obviously, there was no indication Royce was going to miss the game, even though he uh, basically had the shits for the entirety of training camp and wasn't available for more than, I think, a couple of training sessions in uh, Marbella, Spain. But, you know, he, he returned to the training pitch in time, we all thought, to play against Leipzig. And obviously, he's 
arguably one of the two most important outfield players alongside uh, Axel Witzel. So being without Royce, who's also such an influential figure as, you know, the de facto leader of this team and, and team captain, uh, that was certainly a shock, if you like. Uh, I mean, we, we kind of knew Weigel was probably going to play because uh, of the injury issues at center half. Maybe we thought Toprak was going to play during the week instead of Diallo, who only came back during the training camp. But, you know, Weigel wasn't the, the big surprise. And I think uh, with his performance against Gladbach and, and him playing there for training camp, that wasn't really an issue we necessarily had to be too worried about um, if if you wanted Dortmund to succeed in this game. So to me, it all came down to Reus, which is why I went before the game and said anything they take from this game is basically a bonus in my book. And, and I still view it that way. I mean, even though Dortmund were brilliant for, let's say, 25 minutes and ultimately deserved winners in my book, I still think this wasn't necessarily the kind of game where you could expect them to come away with three points even after 45 minutes. So I think they deserve a lot of credit uh, for sticking in there with definitely not their best lineup and, and not the best 11 players available at this stage. So, I mean, this is once again one of these games, as we've talked about so many times this season, basically, where you go, if we, if you win a game like this, you can become champions. Uh, the, the question is obviously what, what Bayern are going to do the rest of the season. Yeah, if Bayern are going to win the remaining 16 games, I have a hunch Dortmund will not win the championship. Um, but maybe they won't. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but I, I agree. Um, I would like to put it this way. The win was not undeserved. I think a draw could have also arguably been a very deserved result, um, going by the chances both, both teams created. Um, nevertheless, um, you know, the start in the, the first two, three, four minutes or so were quite chaotic with a lot of set pieces for Leipzig, but then things calmed and settled down a little bit and Dortmund took over control. Um, I, I don't know. I thought it was a little bit odd that Timo Werner was playing as a left winger, but I assume it, it was to maintain Lucas Piszczek, <laughs> uh, or rather Jaden Sancho. Um, I guess that was the idea behind this, but the, the problem for Leipzig was that we're, they were very timid. I thought they would be very aggressive from the get-go, but they weren't, and they only had uh, Yusuf Paulsen up front uh, in the first 20 minutes or so which allowed Dortmund to calmly play out the back. And uh, I think this game shows that if, if there's one thing you shouldn't let Dortmund do is to, you know, you, you should not let them play calmly out of the back because that way they can just probe you and, and find ways to, to, you know, progress the ball in an effective way and then move forward. And I think especially over the left side with, with Guerrero and, and, and Götze, um, Dortmund created a lot of uh, good opportunities and momentum and ultimately that sort of led to the goal I mean it was a corner kick and last you can tell me how well Axel Witzel took that shot very yes <laughs> thank you <laughs> I mean the, the first touch was just amazing um last but then things changed a little bit uh Leipzig got more aggressive and uh, I think switched back to their you know old system which is from a 4-3-3 more to a 4-2-2-2 or something like that 
Um, but more importantly, they a got more, you know, more players into the face of of Diallo and and uh, Weigel and whatnot, but also just more aggressive. So, how did you see Dortmund cope with the the, the pressure, and what did you think Dortmund's plan was after going ahead one nothing? Yeah, I think immediately after the goal, I think it was in the 19th minute, they still kind of dominated for a while without uh, exerting themselves too much. So it was basically the same kind of game without the penetration going forward. So I thought, for example, they uh, dropped Delaney or Witzel in between the centre-backs far more often than I can remember from the first half of the season. Maybe that impression is wrong. But to me, it felt like they had one of these guys between the center backs at most times, which they usually didn't do in the first half of the season. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they lacked that penetration going forward. They definitely didn't go for a quick second goal to basically kill off the game, which I guess against the team with the, uh, counterattacking ability and athleticism of Leipzig wouldn't have been a wise move anyway. But, uh, as you said, Leipzig, mounted the pressure a little bit. Uh, I mean, they, uh, as you said, also um, reverted back to the system that works with the players they have at the moment. I think uh, they definitely miss Emil Forsberg quite a bit at the moment and uh, obviously haven't really replaced Nabi Keita. They tried with uh, Tyler Adams, whom we will see more of uh, in the second half of the season, Amadou Haidara, who came over from Salzburg. But, you know, there there really isn't that dynamic number eight in that team at the moment and if you don't have him and Forsberg I think it's going to be difficult for them to to keep up uh, with Dortmund, Bayern and even Gladbach but uh, coming back to Dortmund um, it, it, to me the, the, the main issue that allowed Leipzig to come back into the game even without too many great chances in the first half was that suddenly it felt like they kind of lost their their metal a little bit and and definitely had too many easy losses of possession and whether that was Philip or Götze even who usually has a really good first touch Sancho didn't have a great game offensively uh, even Guerrero even though I thought he didn't did have a really good game overall I mean they they all had too many easy losses of possession Delaney obviously as well but that's kind of his game he's not really technically the most gifted player yeah but even for Delaney standards there was a poor game when it comes to to passing especially like short passes went like often astray we all remember that one chance where he passed in the back of Hakimi I think and someone else intercepted it and you know chaos ensued and I think it was also uh, Delaney uh, in the second half who passed the ball to Berkey, who then almost made a meal of it because yes. of the, the, the pitch. Uh, I don't think that was a mental mistake by Berkey as much as the pitch just being, no, you, could you know, slip, winter, yeah. wintry awful as things tend to be in Eastern Germany, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, it just felt like, I mean, as we talked about before, that wasn't necessarily the strongest, uh, 11 Lucien Favre had as, at his disposal, uh, this week, uh, with a good opponent. And, and, and th these things happen. So you, they should have been better in keeping the ball up. And I think Axel Witzel mentioned it after the game as well that they, they suddenly lost too many balls and that really helped Leipzig back into the game. So, I mean, does that not happen if you have Marco Reus in there? I don't know. Uh, does it not happen if you have Paco Alcácer and your typical center backs, whatever? 
who knows? Uh, it's, it's, it happened against Leipzig and they were quite fortunate that Leipzig on the day didn't really have, uh, you know, any kind of breakthrough in front of goal. Uh, because as, as great as Roman Birki was, some of these chances, they made it a bit easier for him than they should have. Yeah, definitely. I thought this game really, um, showed, what a poor decision maker Timo Werner is. Um, you know, he's often linked with the move to Dortmund, which I, you know, not in a million see, not a million years see happening, but also he is to me a player that will never quite be an elite talent or elite player just because, uh, his footballing IQ is a little bit too low. Uh, while he has a lot of skill with, with pace and this, you know, technical ability, he just, you know, doesn't have the brains for it, uh, in, in, in too, too many, games he just doesn't perform especially against Dortmund he apparently just can't score which is I guess <laughs> someone wrote on Twitter the, the anti-son <laughs> which is funny but also not because then we all remember we're going to play Tottenham a little bit later uh, this season so um yeah but back back to back to Dortmund I thought that they at some point tried to you know just force a counterattack every time they won the ball and 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 try to um you know get in behind Leipzig who played with a very high line and it sort of makes sense to do that but the problem is Leipzig has first of all a brilliant center back pairing I thought Upamecano and, and Konate were to me basically the best players in the field um and and uh, Klosermann Halzenberg and and maybe even Leimer well wh whoever also is very quick i i mean lemmer is number eight but at some point he i think won a, a, a run, run against Jane central so so my point is um dortmund did not have the physical strength or or, or wit to to play around upamecano and konate and uh, also not the pace to when they got behind them to really actually you know profit from that we all remember how Alcasa petered out in the, what was it, 85th minute or so when he was, when he broke free, but then still got backtracked by Kampel and I don't know who it was. It um, was actually so, Werner. Oh, see? So, um, yeah, yeah, it was Werner. So, I don't know, that, that was maybe just the, the one issue that, that is maybe a little bit different when you have Marco Royce because then maybe your counterattacks are a little bit smarter than uh, they <laughs> were designed by Dortmund against uh, Leipzig that day. Yeah, I, I, um, I mean, the, there's also just the, the, the question of this being the first game after even a short break. It's still a break. Uh, they, they get a few days off of football. They don't really have that, that super high intensity in training or in test matches. So I think that some of the sharpness that Dortmund typically show on the counter was lacking here. I think the prime example for that was uh, Ashraf Hakimi, who really didn't have a great game in my opinion. And time and time again, he, he got into the position which we've seen all season basically, where he just uh, runs down the flank with, with such speed that nobody can, can, can hang with him basically. But to me, it felt like in this game, uh, more so than in a few others, even though that has been a problem before his, his feet and his body basically was quicker than his eyes and his brain. I mean, he, he often, to me, for him, it's also basically down to decision making, whether he becomes one of the absolute greatest fullbacks in the world, which he absolutely has the potential for, 
or if he's going to be just a pretty two very good player on that position because I think uh, with all the physical tools he has, he still hasn't really figured out how good he can be. I mean, uh, if if he were to step on the ball a bit and and take a look at things and and not always try to drive into the box, uh, I think he could often pick out players with a simple cutback pass. And you know, we, we've talked about uh, Phillips' shooting technique, so they didn't really get him into position once this game. I thought, like, I maybe I'm forgetting, like, like no, one shot. Uh, Götze didn't really get in a position to to have an attempt on goal either. So it felt like there were opportunities there, even though Leipzig's backline is really athletic and, and quick with uh, Konate and, and uh, Upamecano, as you said, really a brilliant pairing. Uh, I think there were spaces to be exploited, but Dortmund kind of lacked that sharpness, which might be down, as I said, to this being the first game back and also just, you know, execution, uh, on, or in, in a few key moments from a few players, such as Hakimi, but also Philip, who didn't have a great game. Who well, actually, Philip had the one on one against Gulashi, but I still think there was an off, offside play. Which just didn't get called, and then uh, because it didn't turn into a goal, also not reviewed. The same with uh, when Zabitzer broke free against Roman Bürki. I also thought this, this square pass over to him, if you remember, I also thought he was a little bit offside there and in front of the ball. But I might be wrong. You know, it's it's very hard to spot without a replay. But you know, just from my own perspective and view, I, I thought these two plays were offsides with, uh, you know, essentially were the, the two best chances for, for either side out of play. Yeah, I don't even remember the Philip one, to be honest. I mean, uh, overall, I thought uh, that he really showed uh, that he's not really trusted by Farfel usually uh, to play a big role uh, in important games. I mean, uh obviously uh, he's much closer to the first team than someone like Kagawa uh, or Alex Isak or I mean it was obvious that if Reus, Mahmoud Dahoud maybe even Yeah I I don't like Dahoud as a number 10 in in in, in Dortmund's system I don't think that's, that's going true. that's that's working uh in, in their favor so that wasn't really an option in my opinion But neither is Isak to be honest No obviously I mean uh, it, it that's what I was going to say it was obvious that Philip was going to start if Reus couldn't go in any of these games unless, you know, Alcázar can start with maybe Götze playing around him, even though we haven't really seen that for more than a few minutes as you know, uh, we I did on Saturday. I want to get your opinion on this while we're on the subject. Do you think that, uh, you know, Favre maybe in such a situation should play Pulisic as a number 10? Because I think he he likes that position and in his youth often played there. And I think Greg Berghalter, the uh, United States men national team coach, also wants uh, to put him more in a central role. Do you think, you know, he can maybe do that at Dortmund, or do you think it's too much of a risk? <laughs> well, I mean, there's arguably less risk with Witzel and Delaney roaming the spaces behind you than with a lot of space and then a fullback behind you. So I don't know if that's. The problem. I mean, I can I can tell you because I've talked to Hannes Wolf, who used to be the under nineteen coach a couple of years back. Actually, like three days after Pulisic made his uh, debut for the first team under Tuchel in against uh, Ingolstadt, I think. 
Uh, I was in Dortmund for a series of interviews, most of which never got published. Um, <laughs> that's, I guess, my bad luck. And uh, I, I, I talked to uh, Wolf, who's now at uh, Hamburg SV, uh, head coach, um, and about what he thinks Pulisic's position was going to be. And he, I mean, first of all, he spoke in absolutely glowing terms of the kid who back then, I mean, he was 17 years old. He was a kid. Um, and, and secondly, he said uh, he thought at the time, at least, that Pulisic was going to undergo that kind of Indiesta development from back then. He predominantly played on the left wing. Nowadays, it's more on the right, I think, uh, to a central player just because of uh, technical ability, passing range, which I don't see as a big improvement over the last couple of years from Pulisic. And, uh, you know, that, that spatial awareness. So they, they thought back then, at least, which I mean, it's now more than three years ago or pretty much on the day three years ago, uh, that Pulisic was going to become that central player in midfield. Obviously that hasn't happened. And I don't see it happening in the last four months of his tenure here at Dortmund, but it's certainly a thought that might make more sense than putting Philip there who showed really a lack of chemistry with everyone else in, in attack. And during the game, I thought the, the smartest move would probably have been to introduce uh, either Larsen or Pulisic on the wing with Guerrero moving in the 10th spot because we've seen Guerrero as a number eight under Tuchel. He's technically, uh, he's up to Jaden Sancho's standard just not much of a dribbler, but, you know, in terms of his his movements with the ball and how he uh, receives the ball and he, it never goes away from him with the first touch and whatever. So I think he can play the number 10 role. And he also plays a really mean through ball. Yeah, and, and he's got also that great vision. And, I mean, I mean, it's it may be the, the wrong time to talk about Guerrero in, in, in detail, but to me, he's been the story of the last few weeks of the first half of the season and this first game because he, out of nowhere, basically, because he was just a sub uh, playing 20 minutes without doing too much outside of scoring in the Champions League, obviously. Uh, he he has become this hugely important figure that has basically taken a starting spot from Larsen, who had already taken it from Pulisic. So, I mean, we at some point we are going to have to talk about Rafael Guerrero suddenly being this hugely influential player for Dortmund. Well, and actually, I actually had planned to talk about him on this episode. Yeah, uh, well, there we are because of 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 what you just said. Um, because I very much agree. Um, we've seen in. In glimpses, but never in long stretches, the ability of Rafael Guerrero, and especially in a time when uh, Dortmund struggled severely to replace an Ilkay Gunuan and, and stuff like that, um, Guerrero came in when when there was not really a player that connected the midfield with the uh, attack, basically, and he sort of did that. He he bridged that gap, and um, having this bridge player again. On the, on the left wing, which I think is the best position for him, if, if not number eight or, or so. But it's it, at least in the Favre system and how Dortmund are set up with Marco Reus in, in, as number 10 and, and Jaden Sancho on the right, I think um, he is going to be hugely important down the season. And I think that he has, he is sort of the underrated star player that Dortmund have and nobody's really talking about. But will have a massive impact unless he gets injured um, throughout the the rest of the season, just because of of how well he he connects everything, and we we see it, 
you know in a game against Gladbach or Bremen or so just the 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 amount of of link ups he creates when Dortmund overload the side where he is and Dortmund start to combine on, on very tight spaces and they will have to do more often I guess um, in 2019 um, he is someone who can help you out there and while we have discussed at length on this podcast why we all think he is not a capable left back he also has some defensive capabilities um, and. Maybe under Lucien Favre, he does not slack off where he just doesn't track back often enough. I think um, against Leipzig, his, his tracking back was good. I don't know how you saw it, but uh, it's it's not like I was appalled. <laughs> so <laughs> by that standard and measure, it was okay, I guess. Uh, obviously, he can always improve. He's maybe not the most physical player, but um, especially... When Dortmund win the ball deep on the left side next to their own box, maybe he usually also provides an outlet where they then can combine out of the back. Because especially against Leipzig, we have seen that if you just punt it long and then there are tall center backs like Konate and Upamecano, you're just immediately going to lose the ball and they have to defend again. And for Dortmund, it's very important that they manage to combine them themselves out of this, you know, hole. And he can, he can, uh, do that, especially, I think, Achraf Hakimi has, has struggled a little bit on, on that regard of, you know, finding a combination play out of the back. So, um, yeah, in, in so many terms, Guerrero is very important, but maybe what, what we see, uh, saw against Leipzig, the, one of the most important factors is actually his set piece delivery. I think that's the best, uh, on the entire team. I mean, Marco Reus does that also pretty well. But uh, whenever Guerrero delivers a set piece, there's danger. Um, he has how many assists now on set pieces? I remember the one against Augsburg where he played in Alcacer and then again against, was it Bremen? Where they had this routine with Royce faking it and then Guerrero faking it and then actually taking it, right? Yeah, I think and so. Now, and now again the corner, which was then uh, basically, uh, yeah advanced by by or flicked on by by Pischek and then Witzel took and scored but you know they I think Diallo also nearly scored in against Leipzig so there are always a lot of um, situations when when Guerrero can play in a indirect free kick so that's also another thing I would you know put on the list of of uh, bullet points that speak for Rafa Guerrero yeah. being maybe a huge star Anything to add or, or just to supplement? Yeah, I, I was uh, actually uh, waiting whether you would mention his set-piece delivery because it has been such uh, uh, of such importance over the last few games and obviously will be more important when the games get even tougher. When Did he also hit the set-piece against uh, Schalke? Did he play there? I can't remember. No, I, f but I feel like that was Royce uh, with the in-swinging corner, but I might be wrong. Um Anyway, uh, with it's certainly he has a wicked left foot, not only for uh, indirect deliveries. He, I, I remember when he wasn't even a Dortmund player yet, before the 2016 Euros, when he was still in France. Yeah, uh, we he, all got excited about someone being able to. Score yeah, he, he he hit a free kick in a in a friendly uh, pre-Euro match. However, uh, it might have even have still been a no. It must it must have been a friendly, basically. And and you know, obviously, at Portugal, uh, usually I guess uh, the guy wearing number seven takes the free kicks, and most of them land either thirty yards uh, uh, over the goal or. 
in the stomach of someone in the in the wall, but not this time. That time, uh, Guerrero got to take one with his uh, left foot and, and absolutely beautifully uh, laid it in the top corner out of goalkeeper's reach. I don't remember the opponent, but I remember watching and going, hmm, maybe, maybe someone can do that at Dortmund now because obviously... <laughs> Uh, that that hadn't happened too often, even though, Stefan, you might remember that we were actually there uh, for a direct free-kick goal, even though that was mostly down to uh, Cologne's goalkeeper, uh, Kessler, having a howler against, I think, Reus. Yeah, was it Reus, not Castro? I can't even remember. All I remember is that it was also deflected, so it wasn't pure. <laughs> yeah, but I, 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 but I do remember us both before the game going, how, how fun would it be if we saw the first direct free kick goal in like four years it felt like at the time so that was quite yeah, fun also, i i researched it you know the the last free kick goal Dortmund yeah that, that that was a thing on twitter i think uh, back in the day yeah and and i actually um uh found out that gonzalo castro at some point scored a direct free kick which was Basically, an indirect free kick, which nobody touched and went into goal. I mean, uh, Marcel Schmelzer has scored two direct free kick yeah, goals. Yeah, but that so. was in the cup. I, I was no one. Of, one of them against year. one of them against Nuremberg, uh, but you know that was during the Klopp days. Yeah, that's yeah. But I remember that one. Yeah, he also last season he scored a direct free kick in the cup where the goalkeeper just you know didn't react or something. But, you know, there were a lot of direct free kicks where the goalkeeper didn't re react. I mean, the one from Alcázar against Augsburg, uh, Lute also didn't look too good. Yeah, that wasn't even look a good free kick. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Where were we? <laughs> <laughs> you were you were uh, raving about the possibility that uh, Rafael Guerrero would score a direct free kick at some point, maybe this season. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's possible. And, you know, the, he's definitely got the best left foot on the team unless I'm forgetting someone no I don't think so but didn't uh, Achaf Hakimi, Hakimi score a direct free kick in, in preseason 2 against Düsseldorf the winning free kick or something like that uh, I didn't watch the preseason game so yeah I, I didn't I didn't watch it either but I, I, I think I saw it somewhere uh, I, well, yeah, I think or? I think he scored in that secret game against some Dutch team Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, which wasn't televised, so it was like, I think that was another of these free kicks that nobody really touched and the goalkeeper didn't want to come out for, so. Anyway, so back to the game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we, we have talked a little bit about, um, how, how Dortmund failed to cope against Leipzig's pressure and how they were maybe a little bit too eager to, um, to score on, on the counter attack, but um, on on the same hand, I thought they defended pretty well, and we are yet to really praise Julian Weigel for the performance he had. Because yes, he played very well against Gladbach, but in in uh, that instance, Gladbach also were very timid, and uh, Leipzig put more pressure on, and they tried to get Timo Werner in behind Weigel um, to you know take advantage of the. Uh, the the pace Werner has, but overall I thought it was a very good performance. Uh, Julian Weigel I think had the highest pass completion rate, um, next to Axel Witzel of course. Um, so I thought if Dortmund are going to struggle more with centre back, um, you know injuries, which is 
most likely going to be the case. I, th I think um, at least having Weigel is a very good fallback option now. What do you think after he has been tested against two Champions League contenders, I guess? Or Champions League spot contenders, let's, let's be <laughs> accurate. Yeah, I think he uh, did have a pretty good game against Gladbach, but certainly was downright great I, I would say against Leipzig with the exception of a couple of instances where he uh, which is understandable because he doesn't have the the same instincts that a natural center back has uh, went to the ground far too too quickly which yes. is always a danger not only can the uh, striker just open up his body and get past you but you know there's also always the possibility not only with Timo Werner of uh, you clipping him or whatever so that, yeah just don't don't do a Socrates just stay on your feet uh, nothing bad can happen when you stay <laughs> on your feet I mean if 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 you tighten the angle and he beats uh, beats you and, and scores a goal then you tip your head and say well that was a great goal from the striker I did my job so that's that's how I view those things but other than that he was um, Flawless, and and that's the the highest praise you can give a makeshift center back uh, against this level of opponent. Even though, as I said before, I, I think Leipzig didn't necessarily have a great game in front of goal. I think part of that is also down to uh, Weigel and Diallo, uh, who let's remember, uh, as I said before, didn't really have the the best uh, prep for uh, the Rückrunde himself. Uh, because of their performance as well, because they they were largely uh, flawless. So I mean that that's whatever they didn't uh, prevent. Uh, obviously, Roman Burki did. So I I would still say that Burki was the best player on the pitch, and not Weigel, but him uh, and obviously the Leipzig center backs. There there was a lot of good center back play on the day. Let's say that. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have been a higher scoring game, probably. Um, What what I also like about Weigel is that he can provide another passing outlet. He can, you know, do what he did so well in, in the Tuchel year, <laughs> um, where he absolutely excelled as a holding midfielder. I think he can also do that as a center back, where he just calmly plays the ball and, and him not really feeling a pre the pressure is, is certainly helpful as well. Um, especially against a team like Leipzig, um, if you have Socrates there, <laughs> as you just said, or let's say Nevin Zubotic or whoever, I think it's, it's, it's way more tricky or even, even Sven, Sven Bender. So, um, this, I, I thought was also a really good help for, for Dortmund to not panic as often. And, uh, yeah. But as you said, not many players were on 100% that day. Um, also not Lukas Piszczek because he was on 200%. Um, <laughs> I mean, we are often praising him this, this year or this season so far, but, you know, coming, uh, coming out of a winter break like Pischek did, wow. I mean, just wow. That was, he also had a really good game. I mean, there were not too many players who had a good game, but I thought he definitely had to, even though he, he looked a little bit miffed at the, After the first two minutes where uh, Eitekin thought he had fouled Timo Werner twice or so, which I did not agree with, but whatever. Um, so there's that as well, just him being absolutely fast and, and, you know, really straining Leipzig 
in in just the way that him going forward really you know Leipzig had to had to worry about it and, and could not go forward themselves so this is always a good tactical battle if you just win by presence and basically force your opponent to react by being proactive this is something that is very important and is is basically an earmark of any any top team and Dortmund did that with Lukas Piszczek who is now what 34 years old Somewhere, uh, I mean, I'm just glad there's someone on the team that's older than me. So that's he's 33. He was born uh, in in uh, June 1985. So there's that. Anyway, so um, what do you make of of this win that Dortmund now have scored? What was it? Five one on aggregate against Leipzig in, in two games. Yeah, uh, can Dortmund take away other than three points? Um, as in the first matchup, I think uh, there were a lot of instances on, in which the game could have turned against Dortmund. So uh, even though they they well, in the first game it turned against Dortmund after like literally five seconds. Yeah, but then so. then Roman Bürki had until that point anyway, probably his best performance in a Dortmund shirt because he, they should have been down by three goals at halftime and they were actually up uh, to one, I believe, or might have even been three one. Um, so, uh, as in the first game, you know, if Leipzig do a couple of things differently that we are talking about a much different outcome. And obviously those are six points against, uh, direct opposition. I think we can call Leipzig, uh, this season. So, I mean, obviously that's massive. Uh, not only because of the the hunt being opened or whatever you want to say by uh, Bayern on Friday, I truly believe that most of the players anyway and the coaching staff don't really care about Bayern at this point. I mean, obviously they they'd be happy if Bayern were to drop points uh, against Stuttgart on Sunday, I think, for example. But it's not like uh they they listen to every word they say and they it's not bulletin board material for them at this point i don't think uh, i i truly believe that most of these guys just look at this game to game and if it's still six points by the end of march or whatever then that's probably when the the jitters might come in and whatever but you know uh, this game overall i think is, as I said before, this is the kind of game where if you win like this without playing your absolute best with a, a number of key contributors missing, uh, among them your basically mascot and largely agreed best player of the season so far in Marco Reus, uh, that really tells you something about the, the, the metal of this team, the, the resiliency in this team. So another one of these games where even though it's just a one goal margin for the win, and as I said, a lot of things could have happened differently. It's it's uh, such a credit to the work that's being done week in, week out by the coaching staff and all of these players. Yeah, I mean, it could have also been 2-0 just looking at uh, Alcázar's <laughs> strike against the crossbar. Um, so there's that. But you know, if you look at the table, Dortmund now have 45 points and uh, I think only in the uh, second championship winning year in the club they had more points at this point of the season. Um, 
But they also have now a 14-point margin over Leipzig. Had they lost, it would have been eight, I think, if if I uh, did the math correctly here. And I think with 16 games to go, um, it's unlikely but not impossible that Leipzig catches you um, because they could always have a run. I don't, I don't think that, you know, it, it would be realistic that Leipzig would catch Dortmund, but again, possible. And I think now... Um, with 14 points, it's it's near or close to impossible un un unless Dortmund completely fall apart and Leipzig go on a crazy winning streak, which I don't see them doing. But, you know, it's it's important now because after this match day, Dortmund have 15 points on fifth place, which is Frankfurt. I know nobody here really cares anymore about whether they qualify for the Champions League, but I still think that's important. And I don't take anything for granted and uh, Dortmund certainly shouldn't either, even though they're in first right now, but it's important to maybe have that security pretty early in the season um, because it, it helps you on the transfer market a lot if and when you can guarantee Champions League. And this should uh, happen quite early. And I think at this point we can take it sort of for granted that Dortmund will not finish in fifth place anymore. Yes, I know it's a bit of, of math uh, here in arithmetics, which I bore everyone with, but I still think it's it's important that by the first, um, you know, match day of of the Rückrunde you more or less have already that certainty because remember two years ago when Dortmund qualified for the Champions League or even last season um you know it was a really really close call and uh, now just not having this worry is also one big takeaway you know when you can just focus on whether you win the championship or not it's kind of nice isn't it Lars yeah I mean your arithmetics uh can go to hell i mean they are going to make the champions league there's no, no there's no way they they crash down to earth in in that way i mean they, how many points do they even need like are frankfurt going to put a, a 36 point uh second half of the season together i think that would be a club record for them and is thus relatively unlikely because uh, don't, i don't estimate the buffalo herd <laughs> yeah I, I was just going to talk about the the buffalo herd which is the <laughs> stupid nickname for luka jovic anterevic and sebastian aller their magnificent magnificent striking trio i mean i would expect them to regress to the mean in terms of their finishing uh <laughs> so I, I think outside of Jovic, who's actually uh, also killing it on expected goals this season, uh, the other two are finishing quite a bit ahead of schedule, if you like. So I would expect Frankfurt to not have uh, an absolutely crazy second half of the season. And I don't see another team coming in from uh, that far back. I mean, Hoffenheim... Uh, and Leverkusen, they are too far back, and obviously Leverkusen have Peter Bosch, and that's an adventure in and of itself. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, the the first game against Gladbach was already interesting, where they had like mm, I think sixty four percent possession. Yeah, and twenty two um, to seven shots, but uh, yeah, one well, actual scoring chance or maybe two. So it's it's yeah, it's still hit the post. yeah, it's still Peter Bosch. It's it's all very fun and and, and good to look at, but you know the the long term <laughs> results a bit of a question mark. Yeah, for the neutral, it's fun. Let's put it this way. And yeah, it's good. It's good to look at it from the outside. And I mean, place. basically everybody is neutral towards Leverkusen, so. <laughs> Well, some some might not be neutral because uh, they are Cologne fans or Gladbach fans, but yeah, I I'll, I'll take your point. Um, so yeah, 
very good start <laughs> results-wise from Dortmund and also in terms of resiliency, as you talked about. Um, now they will face Hanover, who may or may not fire their coach. Um, Hanover lost against Bremen um, on Saturday afternoon, uh, one nothing loss, but that result might be a little bit deceiving because I think um, Esser, the Hanover keeper, um, I, he set a new Bundesliga record by saving 14 or, or making 14 saving attempts in one game. Yeah, really I, I think they took it from Berkey, actually. Didn't he have like 11 against Gladbach in that game on a frozen pitch two or three or two and a half years ago or something like that? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I uh, think, but, uh, I think that was the, the record before. And, and I mean, <laughs> I was, I was in a Rasenfunk, uh, yesterday, the German Bundesliga podcast and, uh, Felix Hasensteiner, the, who, uh, was, uh, on me uh, with me on the panel he actually said that like Oka Nikolov once you know had a really good game against Bayern where they had like 48 shots or something I don't know But yeah okay cool story anyway so <laughs> so there's that any in, in other news Hanover are absolutely shambolic um they have a million injuries right now um Basically, their, their best player, which is uh, Niklas Füllkrug, I think, uh, is injured and uh, other guys like Prip and so I don't have the whole list in front of me. Uh, but they also did a couple of good moves on the winter transfer market. They uh, they got uh, Nikolai Müller now. Uh, or was he a summer signing? I don't even remember. No, no. But he was a summer signing at Frankfurt, scored in his first game and then didn't get past the Büffelherde. Right, so... Yeah, he's in Hanover now, and he likes to score against Dortmund, that we know. Um, but other than that, um, it's just shocking to see how bad Hanover really are in terms of positional play. Um, basically, all they try to do against Bremen is just punt the ball forward to, to Henrik Weidand, who, um, yeah, came from, from the second team, obviously, and is now sort of the, the tall striker. It's basically the Darmstadt approach with, you know, just. Without Sandro Wagner? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, something like that. It was, it was just downright terrible to, to watch, uh, Hanover, um, because of how, how, let's say, incoherent they play. I mean, going forward, they have zero idea and don't create any passing triangles or anything really. Almost any attack petered out, apart from one that Fossum had or so, and then just stumbled or so. But um, last we talked about it before. Um, if you look at Hanover right now, you would think Dortmund at home would absolutely destroy them. But uh, <laughs> uh, 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 obviously, it, this is a trap game because those things exist, especially in the universe of this show. <laughs> and uh, Dortmund have only taken one point from uh, games against uh, Hannover and Düsseldorf, who before the season were probably among the three lowest-rated teams in the Bundesliga, alongside Nuremberg, whom Dortmund beat are. by seven goals. So, 
who yeah. who knows what that means i mean i do believe uh that hanover on paper at least is much better than nuremberg uh i think nuremberg i don't see more than maybe a handful of players who should be in the bundesliga and you know in the bundesliga as squad depth and not as starters Whereas at Hannover, when they are healthy, uh, you know, Phil Krug is pretty good. Uh, he was close to joining Gladbach before they signed player for, you know, 17 million or whatever, which is a lot for a German striker at, at the age of, I think, 26. Uh, Ilas Bebu, who absolutely wrecked Dortmund, uh, under Peter Bosch. Uh, he's also <laughs> injured, but he, at least athletically, is among the, the, the best players in Germany. So he can, he can take over a game just by sprinting past everyone. And I'm also very partial to Waldemar Anton, uh, their center back who's having an absolutely terrible season, but he's still a good player and will be a good player a for, like yeah. I mean, that's always the, the comparison for me because everybody's was talking about Pavar even before the, the world cup. And, and I always said I wouldn't pay 60 million for Pavar if I can pay like 25 for. Uh, Valdemar Anton, and I think he's going to be a very good player next season for, uh, let's say Gladbach or, you know, Leverkusen, someone, uh, probably not, uh, Dortmund material after this kind of season. And obviously Dortmund are set at the center back position, but, you know, I still like the player. That's what I'm trying to say. But, uh, they aren't putting any of their middling quality overall on the pitch this season. I mean, Bobby Lutt has, as uh, Bobby Wood has looked and isolated in literally every Hanover game I, I've seen, and and I mean, all right, that's 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 not much to go by, but um, yeah, he so far hasn't really done much apart from I think one game where he scored twice or so. But um, no, he actually has three goals this season, but um, also one of Hanover's I think better players, uh, Genki Haraguchi, he right now is. Uh, on international team duty with Japan on the in, in the Asian Cup, so um, that's also another uh, blow for uh, Hanover's personnel. And yeah, I don't know if Andre Breitenreiter will um, um, be on the sideline on, on next Saturday. Um, I have no idea. Um, Hanover to me are just on fire, like. <laughs> In in the bad way, they're just you know dysfunctional. Just, That's the word. Just, yeah, it's it's just maybe 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 call them fubar, just because I don't I don't think they will recover anytime soon from all the, uh, yeah dysfunctional things that's going on between the fans and and Martin Kint and and the team and I don't know. There's just a whole universe of crapdom in in Hanover, and I don't know um, how they're ever going to fix it and. I think according, according to Kicker, they reached out to, to Gistol, to Slumka, to Doyle, um, already, you know, as, as, uh, maybe options to, to replace Breitenreiter. But yeah, it's all very weird that these headlines come out basically the first day after, uh, the, the Rückrunde started. Not, you know, if you want to make a cut, maybe <laughs> at the end. Of, of the Hinrunde. Uh, uh, but yeah, so I don't know what do you make of it last that they sort of want to cut the coach and then don't at the uh, after, after the first game of the new year. Yeah, I mean, as I said, the, the word for what's happening in Hannover is dysfunction. Uh, there was a 
an argument over the winter break between uh, head coach Andre Breitenreiter and club president uh, Ver slash uh, Dracula lookalike Martin Kind, <laughs> who's an, an awful person if you talk to any Hannover uh, supporter, uh, an investor at the club basically wants to eradicate the 50 plus one rule, which I think most of us are quite fond of. Uh, so the, the argument was about Breitenreiter wanting more signings, uh, Kind saying, you know, you don't get any signings because I don't think you're going to keep us up in the Bundesliga. And also you wanting signings means you didn't do a good job in the summer when we did act on your advice alongside uh, Horst Held, who's the sporting director there, formerly of Schalke, who therefore knows about this function. So, <laughs> I mean, there's no way you can justify sacking your coach after match day 18 when you just had a two-week international uh, winter break to work with presumably a new coach or an, an interim solution or whatever. So uh, if if you don't believe in your head coach after match day 17, you need to make that cut, as you said, or you just stick it out with him and hope for the best because obviously it's not like Hannover are completely out of the picture the, because of the weakness of teams like Stuttgart and Augsburg. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Hannover are three points behind uh, the, the relegation playoff spot, but it feels like it's 30 points basically, both for them and Nürnberg, who are level on points at with uh, 11 points after 18 match days. Uh, it feels like they are both basically a foregone conclusion to be dropped, uh, dropping down to the second division, even though it's, as I said, just three points. So maybe a coaching change could make all the difference. But then again, you look at uh, Stuttgart, who made that coaching change to Markus Weinziel, who I think is relatively well regarded despite his ill-fated season at Schalke. But, you know, did he have a massive impact on that team after taking over from Typhoon Korkut? Doesn't look like it. So, uh, if, if. Well, but at least, at least, even though Stuttgart were a hot mess, uh, in several phases of the game against Mainz, at least they, you know, I think created the, the second highest expected goal ratio, uh, next to Bayern on this match. Day. Yeah. After they were down three goals and had to push everything forward against yes, Mainz yes. at home. I mean. Yes. I, I know. Context. I know, but. As, as, as pathetic as it was for, for a lot of stages and, and their defending, I, I still think, um, doing that in, in the way they did is, is something that maybe Nuremberg and Hanover are not capable of. You know, you just have to put it yeah, but, but perspective you, you just, how shit the other teams are. Just look at the teams. I mean, Stuttgart, in terms of personnel, have a team that shouldn't be 16th right now. And if you look at, Nuremberg should definitely be 18th. Düsseldorf should probably be 17th, but Hannover have all those injuries and the few good players that aren't injured just aren't cutting it this season. Plus you have the dysfunction of the pitch. So the, the, the problem for me is if you want to make a coaching change, A, the point in time is just awful. So especially with the Dortmund game coming up, uh, which obviously would probably go to a, to an interim in, instead of the new guy because you don't want him to start off with potentially a dropping at the hands of the uh, the league leaders uh, and 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 then also i mean the the lack of alternatives is startling to me i mean uh, do you want to sack your head coach on match day 18 to get mirko slomka in who uh, whom we last saw uh, bumbling about in third division with karlsruhe and getting sacked after a few weeks i think 
uh, or or Gistol who worked long enough to get uh, HSV to be bad enough to be relegated for once. Uh, I mean, if that's the the alternative, you might be better off just sticking with the guy you did believe in strongly enough in the summer to give him a new contract until 2021. I mean, that's also an economic decision, in my opinion, because you obviously have to either pay him a, a, a fee to relinquish his salary or you have to pay him a salary over the next few years, basically. So... It's it's a, it's a hot mess in in every way possible. And uh, looking at this from a Dortmund perspective, obviously the uh, the, the only uh, worry, if you like, and it's a small one, I would say, is that everybody goes into the game with the foregone conclusion of a comfortable margin of victory for Dortmund, and that can be a bit dangerous. But I don't think this team looks, uh, to me anyway, overly susceptible to falling into that trap. Well, you know, if we talk about complacency in the aspect of Dortmund, the only game that would spring to mind is the one against Düsseldorf, but I also don't believe that Dortmund were particularly complacent in that game. I just thought they played poorly, which obviously can happen, but I also don't see Hanover capable in setting up, um, you know, that compact and that organized as uh, Düsseldorf did to, to stifle a Dortmund team that... Uh, you know, with Pulisic and Brun Larsen not really being in form, also just did not have a lot of creators to go up against that. And right now, I also don't see um, Hanover scoring the way that Düsseldorf did with uh, Luka Bakio. Um, so yeah, um, there's there's that already out of the window. The sort of let's say blueprint on how to beat Dortmund if you're a relegation contender. Um, so, yeah, I really don't know how Hanover are going to do it. Maybe a, a lucky set piece or so. But um, then again, Dortmund in the form against Düsseldorf, I, I don't believe are comparable to what Dortmund will be in one week against Hanover because um, Dortmund were very flat and, and sort of on low energy at the time with the you know, barrage of fixtures around this game. I think it was like a what Tuesday night game or so in an English Woche, and uh, now they had just a, a break to to you know get reinvigorated, and then have another whole week for you know for this game to prepare. So I think the probability of Dortmund really stum stumbling at home, where they are forced to you know on on another level anyway, I I just don't see it at this point. So. You can say the T word, <laughs> trap game word, as much as you like. I just don't see how whoever is the coach can, you know, be it Pep Guardiola for all I care or Jurgen Klopp as a Hanover coach on the sideline. I just don't see it happening uh, either way for the Reds who play in green. Sometimes. Anyway, full stop. I, I don't know what to add, so maybe we should... Uh, talk about Dortmund's latest addition, who is uh, Leonardo Balerdi. Yeah, that, right. that's going to be a quick discussion, uh, from my point anyway. Yeah, I've, I've already sort of forgotten the, the, the cliff notes, but um, he um, joined Dortmund for what? Somewhere between 12 and 50 millions, uh, depending on who you want to believe. I think he signed a five-year deal because that's the maximum what he can sign. He is 19 years old, right? Or... Uh, I don't know. He's he's turning nineteen. No, he's nineteen. 
yeah, or just just turned. I don't know. Maybe maybe even today wasn't it so? I mean, no, no, he was 19 when they signed him uh, a couple of days ago. Oh, so he's going to turn 20 soon. I don't know. I I, I think his now I'm looking it up, Stefan. Yeah, please look it up. You, you're making me work. Okay. It's incredible. Yeah. Um. In in the meantime, I will <laughs> tell you that he has played five professional fixtures for Boca Juniors and um. Yeah, really. He's turning 20 on January 26th, which is Saturday, the ge day of the Hanover game. Yes, and right now he is uh, on the sub-20 Copa Sudamericana, so he is not with Dortmund. But um, I think everyone at the club has emphasized more than enough that he is, you know, a, a prospect. So um, he is, I guess, not a player who will have much of an impact in this season. A lot of uh, people had already asked me on, on Twitter um, if he could play, um, if, uh, you know, Toprak, Zagadou and, and Akanji all, are all out. And I, I think the answer here is even if he was in Dortmund, uh, the uh, chance of him actually playing right away is very close to zero. Um, if not like 0.0.1 .0 or something like that. Or zero point zero zero one. What is it with you and math today, Stefan? I don't know. I don't know, Lars. It's incredible. Um, I I don't know why there are two points in my number. <laughs> it's weird. Um, but yeah. So I think Sork said it. He has all the skills that you want in a modern defender. But other than that. Um, yeah, we'll have to see how he adapts and uh, whether he becomes the next Dan Axel Zagadou, who absolutely fucking kills it, or, uh, you know, not more of the Isak type situation, just as a defender. Um, Lars, do you have any insight, perspective, anything you want to say on that subject? Yeah, obviously, uh, I follow uh, Argentinian football religiously, as, uh, <laughs> as you know, and I get up uh, late at night to watch the games against Huracan and uh, whatever. I, I mean, I watch so many games, I don't even know the names of the team anymore. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen the same five minutes of footage, I guess, that everybody's seen. The, the first YouTube video that surfaced where he looked like uh, the worst version of Socrates, just, <laughs> just pumping every ball up the field and, and being a bit shaky, uh, but you know trying I didn't even care to watch trying that, but, yeah. trying to 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 look like you know a, a tough guy but obviously that's just you know when you when you only play five games at the at the pro level as a 19 year old defender you will probably have a couple of bad moments there um and then there was this second video surfacing on twitter i believe where you could see that his passing range looks quite good you know, he's breaking lines with his ground passes, which is basically what Dortmund have asked Zagadou, Diallo, Akanji, Toprak, Weigel to do in every game this season, which is part part of why Witzel and Delaney don't typically drop between the center backs too much because they wanna they they rather have the the receiving option uh in the number six base, if you like. So if he can break lines, you can play for Dortmund. I feel like as a center back, because the, the defensive skills that that's something that you can teach better than, you know, having the vision and the guts to play those passes. So, uh, obviously I don't really. So, so maybe, I, maybe one question for you in the, on, in the more general sense, 
Do you think that's a culture that Mats Hummels has created at Dortmund because of his passing ability and just basically burning into the mind of Michael Zorc how important it is to have a center back who can do that? To like put so much emphasis on that? Um, seeing as Mark Bartra uh, doesn't really do it as much, I think Bartra has Uh, more of those long balls that Hummels also has in his repertoire. Uh, I, I, I didn't think Bartra, even though he came from Barcelona, necessarily had the, the greatest creativity in, uh, builder play from the back unless he was able to dribble with the ball, which is obviously something we've talked about so much uh, before this season. So I don't really know uh, if that was something that Hummels created or if it's just something that they have identified as an absolute necessity in, in modern football, especially for a team that has uh, the majority of possession uh, in most games. So I don't know the player too well, obviously, uh, but for one thing, he was also wanted uh, by Juventus, by a couple of Spanish clubs, which is probably why the transfer was moved up uh, by a few months, just because I guess um, Boca Juniors wanted to get the money for the player, so he would have been gone either way and they needed to step in now because obviously you don't get a player like that from Juventus uh, for the same kind of money that you paid for him now and and if if that's not enough uh, then I will just defer and trust the the scouting staff that put together a center back uh, depth chart of Akanji Diallo Zagadou Toprak which is pretty damn good so they seem to know a thing or two about center half so I'm I'm somewhat confident that this is going to be another good signing for them. Yeah. Um, that maybe the work of, uh, what's his name? Marcus Pilava or no? No, it's obviously, F, 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 his name is Marcus Pilava, but F, every good move Dortmund make uh, is still uh, diamond eye Sven Mislintat's work, even though he's been gone for 18 months or whatever. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's the god of scouting, obviously, so... Yeah, this is why, you know, do do you really think that he was a double agent for Dortmund at Arsenal? I I don't know, think getting, he I don't think getting, he had the he had the 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 kind of power to make Arsenal sign Socrates for 20 million and 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 pay 64 for Aubameyang, which I I think was a fair deal for all parties involved. So, uh, I mean, it would have been nice for him to stay there a bit longer and maybe pay uh, 15 million for Sebastian Rode next summer after his triumphant return to Frankfurt puts him in the shopping window. But, you know, you can't have everything. So I guess we have to settle for Dortmund being Bundesliga champions. Yeah, I guess so. But I think, and I don't know if you agree with me, but without Arsenal, Dortmund would not have a shot at the Champions League right now. Do you agree, or or do you think they would have maybe just found other clubs to sell these players? But I I think you know if you if you look at what happened and you know the sort of players that moved to Arsenal, um, I I think uh, there there would not be the same team right now. What do you make of this? Without Arsenal, Dortmund could not be who they are right now. I mean. Am I missing something? Didn't they only sign Aubameyang and uh, Socrates recently? I mean, 
uh, Drop would, yes. would probably be better if they still had Aubameyang uh, because he's available more often than Alcacer. <coughs> I'm sorry. Uh, and, you know, Socrates, obviously, they needed to replace him, but, uh, I mean, I think there was a market for him outside of Arsenal as well. He was very well-liked in Italy. He speaks Italian fluently from his time at, uh, I think he belonged to Milan, but played for Genoa most of the time. But, you know, I think that they would have been able to offload him somewhere else. So I don't know if that, that you know, if that saying makes too much sense in my book. All right, all right. My uh, missing touch double agent theory has been debunked by Lars, and I think with that, we can also leave the show. Do you want to uh, predict the uh, Hanover game? Uh, 4-0 for Dortmund. All right, I'm going with a 3 nothing. Um, so <laughs> I mean, I've I've uh, tried to to reason why why it could be a difficult game, but in in that doing so my uh, train of thought led me to a very easy Dortmund win so um, here we go until next time um, so last please tell our listeners how to get in touch with you on the internet yeah people can touch me on the internet uh, <laughs> at uh, Lars Polman on Twitter and you know that's that's enough for now enough touching alright <laughs> you can find me at Stefan Butzko you can get in touch with the all of us at Yellow Wallpot on Facebook and Twitter. And um, if you want to subscribe to the show, please do that on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And of course, if you want to contribute financially with a dollar or two, please go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall. We will be back in regular service next week. Until then, goodbye and have a good weekend.